It's great to see you this morning. If you're here for the first time, then we want to say a very warm welcome. We're delighted that you're here with us. We hope you feel at home and feel blessed by being part of our time together this morning. Next Sunday, as Silas said, is going to be a very exciting occasion. Water baptisms are always really an exciting moment. Exciting for the people being baptized, but also exciting for us as we witness and see these different folks fulfilling the scriptural command to follow Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. So we want you to be here. We want you to invite friends and family. A lot of people are curious when they know that someone's going to be baptized. It's not just a few drops of water sprinkled on their head, but actually being dunked right underneath. And so uh, it's a great occasion, a lovely opportunity to invite friends to church who might not normally join with us. So bring your friends along. We've got a baptismal class, as Silas said, on Tuesday, 11.30 in the morning, it'll be here. So uh, if others of you are interested, come and talk to me afterwards, please. You'd be very welcome to come to the class just to find out more as to what water baptism is all about. Last Thursday, we had a great evening with the guys, Man to Man, as Terry's named it, and uh, we had a great barbecue here, and it was lovely just to hang out together and to find out a little bit more about each other. So that was fun. And uh, we're going to continue to enjoy things together. So we've been uh, running a, an occasional series just recently. If I can just bring it up, if it'll come. Okay, we need to skip through that one. We need to skip through that one. We need to skip it. Here it is Dressed for Battle. This uh, is the title. This is our resident Roman warrior. And. Um, it's amazing what little um, identities you put on Facebook and uh, places like this. And I was looking the other day, uh, writing a message to Ben, and I saw his little picture, and I thought, that is perfect for our series, Dress for... So if you don't know who it is, stand up, please, our Roman warrior. <laughs> I have no idea why he dressed up like that. I haven't any idea what it was about, but it kind of fitted. So in Ephesians chapter 6... The Apostle Paul, at the end of this passage, he just talks about putting on the whole armour of God. So what I want to share this morning, because uh, Sanjay talked last week about the shield of faith, we've done the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth. There are six pieces to this armour, so I want to talk to you this morning about shoes of peace. Shoes of peace. Uh, last week, uh, Janice and I visited in Portsmouth Gunwharf Keys. You ever been there? It's a good shopping outlet. We were shocked at the numbers of people. It was crowded. You wouldn't think COVID existed anymore. There was just so many people. But I needed some new running shoes because on the 19th of September, I am running the Southampton Half Marathon at 71 years of age. Now, you might think that's stupid. Probably is. But uh, I'm doing it to raise funds for prostate cancer. I had prostate cancer a few years ago, and I really appreciated all the care that I got, and so I want to raise £1,000 for Prostate Cancer UK. If you haven't sponsored me yet, you've got opportunity to. But I thought, I need some new shoes, because the ones I've run, they're only good for about 500 miles, and all the distance you do training, so we went. So we went to the ASICS shop, and uh, it was crowded. All these people trying on different shoes, you know, getting their shoes for whatever they were doing, whether it was tennis or running or whatever it was. 
And I just thought to myself, feet are funny things, aren't they? They all come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, you can have narrow, you can have medium, you can have wide, you can have extra wide feet. Uh, women's UK sizes range from 3 to 10, whilst men's shoe sizes range from 5 to 15. And then for some weird reason, children's shoe sizes go from 0 to 13 and a half, and then from 1 to 7. Don't understand the logic in any of that at all. But there we are. They're all sorts of shapes and sizes. Hands are not like that. Hands are, are, are small, medium, and large, aren't they? I mean, who has a size 13 hand or a size 5 hand? You don't. It's just simple and straightforward. But feet are a, a bit odd. They're a bit, we, we've all got different feet, and most of the time we cover them up because well, they're not really very attractive, are they? Um, you ever been to a foot washing? It's interesting. Some churches practice it. It's a very humbling experience. But feet are funny. Not very attractive. They grow bunions, corns. You can get claw toe. Sounds like a bird, doesn't it? Um, you get ingrowing toenails. You can be flat-footed. You can have fungal infection. You can have athlete's foot and blisters. I mean, all that bother with these feet that we go through. I'm going to tell you some Christmas jokes. Okay, remember these, kids for Christmas. All right, here we go. What does a plumber wear on his feet, Jonathan? Tap shoes. Oh. What do you call a dinosaur with smelly feet? Extinct. Come on, you're a bit slow, aren't you? What do you call a cow without toes? Lactose intolerant. I like that one. Finally, what do frogs wear on their feet? Come on. Open-toed sandals? Oh, they are a bit corny, but it's to do with feet, isn't it? Come on, let's get on. Okay, the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And from Rome, he wrote these four books called Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Now, whilst he was in Rome, he would have seen the Roman soldiers. He would have watched them coming backwards and forwards, battalions marching in and out of the city. He would have been totally familiar with the way in which they dressed for battle. And inspired by this battle dress... Paul then uses that as a description and an analogy to teach us that as Christians, we are in a battle. And in this battle, God has provided us with, as it were, metaphorical clothing that we can wear in the spiritual battle that we face day by day. And Paul reminds us that we're actually not in a flesh and blood battle. This is what he says. We're not fighting against human beings. You know, it's not people on the street that we bump into day by day, but we're fighting against wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers of this age. Now, let me just explain to you young people, when the Bible says wicked, it means bad. All right? There's a generation today that think wicked is good. Whenever you read the word wicked in the Bible, it means it's bad, it's awful, it's destructive, it, it will wreck your life. 
That's what wicked really means and has always has meant. And Paul says we are fighting against evil, wicked, terrible forces that are not flesh and blood, but they're out there unseen, invisible in the spiritual realm. Just a couple of weeks ago, and we were praying on Tuesday night for uh, a Turkish lady who was a Muslim but became a Christian. And she regularly goes to Speaker's Corner in London. It's a place for free speech where you can just talk, share whatever your view is of life, whatever your belief might happen to be. Hooten Tash was her name. And, and she was speaking about faith in Jesus Christ and speaking about how that faith and trust in Jesus Christ is the one true and living way to God. And she was speaking from the experience of having been a Muslim. A man came up through the crowd and he stabbed her. You may have read it in the news. Fortunately, she wasn't seriously injured. But I have to ask the question, what incited that man to go and attack this woman? She wasn't hurting anybody. She was exercising her right of free speech. What incited him to just go up and to, to, to injure her in the way that he did? Well, I believe it is wicked spiritual forces that incite people to do these terrible things that we often hear of in the news. Because it's contrary to human nature to randomly go and attack a stranger. It's nobody you have any issue with. But we now live in an age where we're beginning to recognise the forces of evil and how they work, particularly against the truth of Christianity in Jesus Christ. Now Paul uses the analogy of feet in the context of the fact that the good news of Jesus Christ is about bringing his peace into our troubled world. The word peace there in the New Testament is erinikos, which is to do with relationships. It's about bringing peace into troubled situations. It's about living in peace. It's about allowing the peace of God to influence and control our lives and to lead us on a daily basis. So being dressed for battle doesn't mean that as Christians we are to behave aggressively or militantly towards people who don't accept Jesus Christ. It's not about that. Because unlike other religions, Christianity is peace-loving. We're not at war with those who don't believe what we believe in Jesus. We are those who are to bring God's peace and grace into every situation. You see, remember that Jesus won the battle against sin and death. It's been dealt with. That song that we just had, Jesus won the victory on the cross. We fight and battle from a standpoint of having already won the victory in Christ. We're not in a kind of battle where we're waging war to try and win, feeling afraid that we might lose. Do you ever remember an old hymn we used to sing years ago? Some of you might remember. In the Redemption Hymn, it's number 444. Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals soon. And it conjured up this idea, Jesus, if you don't come back soon, we're going to be defeated, we're hanging on. That's not what it's about being a Christian. We are victorious because Jesus won the victory on the cross. We don't fight from a standpoint of defeat. We come from a standpoint of the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. But we fight against an enemy who is constantly opposed to all that Jesus did 
through the cross because Satan knows he is defeated. Jesus rose from the dead to give us the power to take the message of God's love into our world. And the good news of Christianity that we have is about God bringing his peace and hope into broken hearts. Mary shared so clearly this morning about her moment when she came to receive Jesus as her Lord and Saviour. Even though there was a cost, and a cost for Sanjay as well, and for others of you who have made that choice, you may well have experienced the cost of family kind of rejecting you and not accepting what you've decided to do with your life. But no other religion offers the same hope that we find in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So just think with me three very simple things about these shoes of peace. What does the Bible want us to understand? First of all, okay, we have feet that are to carry the peace of God's presence. Okay, put on peace as shoes, says Paul, in using the analogy of this Roman armour. Feet that carry the peace of God's presence. Jesus said, and it was read to us by Emma, in Matthew chapter 5, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Or blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You see, when we work for peace and bring peace, we are imitating the character and the nature of God. God is a God of peace. When God created Adam and Eve in the beginning and put them in the Garden of Eden, it was a peaceful, beautiful, perfect setting for the beginning of the whole of creation. But Satan came and spoiled it. The peace was lost. And in Christ Jesus, God's plan and purpose was to restore his peace into our hearts and into our lives and to bring his healing to our broken world. And when we work for peace and bring peace, we are imitating the very character and nature of God himself. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.14, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Now going back to New Testament times, Jews would have nothing to do with Gentiles. In actual fact, it was classed as wrong for a Jew to allow a non-Jew to enter his home. That was their belief, because they believed that Jews were were second-class citizens, whereas uh, uh, Gentiles were second-class citizens, where the Jews were, they were the top-notch. And so Paul brings fresh teaching when he says when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for you Jews, he died for the whole world. He's broken down the hostility, the division that there is between us. There is no longer a caste system, if we can use your phrase. In Christ, we are one. No one person is better than the other. No one culture is better than the other. No one nationality is better than the other. In Christ, we are all made one through what he did on the cross. And the very heart and nature of God is to bring peace and reconciliation through forgiveness. You see, at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus was born, 
you will know that there were those shepherds looking after their sheep and suddenly these angels appeared in the sky announcing the news. Glory to God in the highest. To you is born this day a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. Jesus came to bring the peace of God to our hearts and our lives. Jesus came into the world so that we could experience the peace of God and peace with God and the thing about the peace of God, it goes beyond human understanding. You can't work it out, but when you've got it, you know you've got it. And I want you to remember this. Because you have come to know and experience the peace of God through Jesus Christ, whatever situation you face, where there is trouble, where there is strife, where there is discord, it's your job to bring the peace of God's presence by carrying it into the room. You see, Jesus said in Luke 10, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this household. Freedom from the distress that results from sin be with this family. And if anyone is worthy of peace and blessedness, then let your peace and blessedness rest upon this home. We can carry the peace of God's presence. And that's what Paul is talking about here. When you put on those shoes, put on shoes that bring the peaceful presence of God into each and every situation. But then secondly, Paul says something else about our feet when he says this. We need to have feet that stand their ground. If you look again in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, stand your ground. Our feet position us. You probably never thought much about that, but they do. Where your feet are determines where you are. We never go anywhere without our feet, do we? You couldn't. And Paul uses this analogy of the human body to describe the fact that every person in church has God-given gifts, and those gifts are to be used for the glory of God. Now, we've been talking in recent weeks about knowing and discovering what our gifts are, and I think next Sunday there's going to be some sheets on the table at the back there covering different areas of ministry. We want to create teams so that people can say, well, look, I'd love to serve in that team because I feel I'm gifted in that area. And you will have the opportunity just to say, well, look, this is my gift. I, I want to use it. Because church is not about being pew fillers. Church is about being a body. And just as every part of your body does its job, and when it works properly, you are fit and healthy, so Paul uses the same analogy of the church. When he says the church is like a human body, all manner of parts doing different jobs, but we're all working together for the whole and for the glory of God. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, just as the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you, so God has placed every part where he wants it. And the church is not to function like a dislocated and dismembered body. It works as the human body works with every part doing its job in the way that it was created to do. And we need to stand together. We need to encourage one another on a daily basis to use our gifts and to serve Jesus even when we face times of challenge and testing. I want to read you a story about someone who 
sadly didn't stand their ground. There's a place called Zundert, maybe how it's pronounced, in Holland. And in 1853, a Lutheran pastor became the proud father of a baby boy. At 16 years of age, this boy went to work for a firm of art dealers in The Hague in Holland. A few years later, he took the opportunity to travel to England and there, staying in the landlady's house, he fell in love with the landlady's daughter. But she rejected him. She didn't feel the same. In his grief and sadness, he turned his life to Jesus Christ. And he began helping a Methodist minister in a place called Turnham Green and Petersham. The conviction grew that he should become a full-time evangelist and in his mid-twenties he returned to Holland and soon found great success in preaching the gospel to the poor. He dressed like a peasant and he lived in their company. He washed their clothes, he cared for the sick, he consoled the dying and he led them to Christ. He was a pretty radical young man who really reached out to the broken and the rejected of society. However... The church leaders of the day would have nothing to do with him. And they forced him to give up his ministry. Eventually he gave up following Christ. He went back to the world of art and tried his hand at painting. His name was Vincent van Gogh. If he'd not been discouraged, van Gogh might have been able to express his commitment to Christ through his incredible gift of art. Sadly, he was a young man who didn't stand his ground because others discouraged him, others despised him, others rubbished him for being Jesus to people whose lives were broken and destitute. We need to have feet that stand our ground and stand up for what we believe concerning the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, in this battle that we face, there will be many times when we have to stand our ground, when we have to stand up for what we believe, because we're living in a culture now where Christianity is very often undermined. It's devalued. Our nation was founded upon Christian principles, but so much of that is diluted today. And if you're a Christian, at times it can be very hard in the workplace when you stand up for values and principles and truths that are in line with the Word of God. Paul speaks of these hard times when he says in 2 Corinthians 4, though we experience every kind of pressure, we are not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persuaded, we are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may get knocked down, but we are not knocked out. And you will face the same situation. You will face times when people try to persuade you against your Christian belief. When people perhaps mock you because of the stand that you take. But Paul is saying to us that we need to have feet of peace, feet that are prepared so that we stand our ground, whatever and whoever may come against us. So we have to be confident in what we believe. You need to know your Bible inside out and back to front so that you can stand up for the truth of God's word and for righteousness in a day when it becomes difficult. 
Okay, one last thing about our feet, and it's this, that we need to have feet that overcome the enemy. Paul says, resist the enemy in the time of evil. In the book of James, James says this in James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. To resist is to stand against. Greek word is antihistamine. You've all heard of that stuff, I'm sure. It's to bravely stand face to face with your enemy. Just like David and Goliath. You know that story in the Old Testament where this great giant, Goliath the Philistine, was turning up to do battle with the Israelites and they were terrified because he had said, you give me one of your fighters and I'll fight and whoever wins, that will sort the battle. It'll save a lot less bloodshed. And they were all terrified, the Israelites, under King Saul. But little David turns up and he says, I'll fight you. I'll stand up against you because I come to you in the name of the God of Israel, our God who cannot fail. And he fought Goliath face to face. He stood firm and he resisted the enemy. This word antihistamine, histamine is uh, something that's released in your body when you get a bite or a sting, but it causes all this swelling and this painfulness in that particular area. So we get this cream called antihistamine that blocks histamine, stops histamine being released, and so it reduces the swelling and hopefully takes away some of that discomfort and pain. We are to block the effects of Satan. You will see it all around you, day in, day out. But as we live our lives in accordance with God's word, as we stand firm, we can take the pain out of people's lives. Because ultimately Satan wants to bring pain. Satan wants to bring discomfort into people's lives. But we can resist him. We can block and bring God's healing love into people's lives because of the fact that we know Jesus. Satan is out to rob, steal and destroy that's why Paul says we need to be dressed with the whole armour of God to stand firm against his strategy and to bring God's healing into our broken world. One final verse in the Bible is found in Romans 16 verse 20 and I love this. Paul is finishing his letter to the Christians in Rome and he says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your isn't that great? We can trample on the enemy in the name of Jesus because of the authority that we have in Christ.